This is Cinema Spin. Welcome, everyone. I'm Matt. And I'm Jason. To a new episode of Cinema Spin. We're back again this week with brand new movie reviews, like always. And old record and point. old reviews. Yeah, new reviews. Well, new. All the reviews are new. New to Some us. of them are just for old movies. Right, yes. And, uh, man, I think we had a interesting crop this week. We had an interesting crop of... Uh, these movies have something in common. They're, they're both uh, adaptations of novels. Um, That's true. That's true. Um, and apparently faithful adaptations of, of novels. I've read one of these novels and I have not read the other. So I guess we'll get started. Yes. Our new film for this week is White Noise, directed by Noah Baumbach. White Noise is based on the 1985 novel of the same title, written by Don DeLillo. 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 The novel had the reputation through the years as being considered unfilmable due to its extremely quirky dialogue and narrative. Baumbach apparently thought this was hogwash and has given his version <laughs> of the old college try here with mixed results. The story of White Noise revolves around a married couple Jack and Babette, Adam Driver and Greta Gerwig, respectively, and their blended family of eccentric children. Jack is a college professor specializing in the unique field of Hitler studies, and Babette is a housewife doing the best she can to manage her family and make everything run as smoothly as possible. At first glance, they may all seem to be the typical happy American family in the 1980s, but under the surface there may be some problems just beginning to manifest themselves. The family is put to a serious test, though, when a train derailment nearby creates an airborne toxic event, and the Gladneys, the family name along with the rest of the town, are forced to evacuate the area. And this is where I stopped trying to summarize this movie. Okay. And you're just going to tell me how you felt about it. Uh, okay, let's go. Let's begin with the world, uh, word unfilmable. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the novel has a repu- has had long had a reputation as being unfilmable. Um, is this the one that you read? Yes, okay. this is the one I've read. Um uh, I have read this novel, um, and uh, the book is uh, very cerebral and satirical. And uh, cerebral and satirical are two things that film does not do yeah, well. Not particularly cinematic concepts. Yes. Uh, these things don't come off very well on film. Uh, so what you can do is you can film the events of the book, and Bombach has done that here with, with meticulous loyalty. To the point that if you've seen the movie, you've pretty much read the book. Um, but you're no doubt wondering why the novel is considered, you know, great, um, why it won a National Book Award. Kind of reminds me of uh, A Confederate of Dunces, yes. which I have read, and yes. it is also considered probably unfilmable, although yes. people are trying pretty hard. People have long tried, and a... it, run, it runs the same problem of, basically, that book is just about... Inner monologue. The inner and... monologue of one very very eccentric well, Sometimes he's dude. got some soliloquies that he does. But, right, uh, yeah. Yeah, and it's... It, not particularly cinematic. Right. I, I was also reminded recently, I, I caught up to the 2019 uh, uh, Hulu adaptation of, of Catch-22. Right. I which remember. was done pretty well. Um, and that is another novel that is also, you could also describe as cerebral and definitely satirical. Right. Mm-hmm. And another novel that you could just film the events of the novel and still be left wondering, well, why is this book so iconic? You know? Right. Um. Uh, that said, I thought the 2019, uh, uh, I thought the Hulu uh, version w- was pretty good. 
Yeah. Um, and and uh, f- fans of that novel want to check it out. Um, you know, what's what's missing here is is Don DeLillo, DeLillo's uh, sumptuous and dynamic prose. Um, no, uh, He, like very few authors, can sort of stop on a dime between um, sur- between realism and surrealism. And, and, and he is able to create uh, um, very, very strange and, and, uh, and, and unique uh, tones, right? Um, you know, yeah. watching this movie, you know, there's, a, there's attempts to re- recreate that, right, as dialogue in yes, film. Yes. And the problem is, is the dialogue comes so fast that in a book you could say, oh, now what's he saying here? And read it again and make sure you're, you're, contem- you're, 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 you know, you're getting what's the point across. Yeah. And whereas in this movie it's over and done and they're on to another piece of dialogue before you can even really like, you know, I thought when the dialogue, the dialogue in this movie kind of starts in the kitchen where the, there's the families all buzzing around and all yeah. talking yeah, over yeah. each other. Yeah. That was a little hard to follow. But when, yeah. when you get into the professors and Don Cheadle starting to talk about, I couldn't even follow it. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, I think the I think the family stuff worked really well. Um, and the family stuff is actually uh, 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 you know, with with this mixed family mm-hmm. and them all kind of talking at once in this very sort of heightened, super you know, super intellectual, super precocious in an intellectual yeah. way. I thought that that worked pretty well. And you don't have to really know what everybody is saying to sort of get the gist of j- this is just a. A highly verbal, sure. precocious family. Now, when it comes to uh, the Don Cheadle character, uh, uh, Murray Siskin, the professor, Professor mm-hmm. Siskin, this is a major, one of the major departures, the major shortcomings, I think, of the of the adaptation here is Siskin in the novel is sort of a mouthpiece for a lot of the uh, the larger uh, satirical and intellectual themes of of Delolo's book. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, there is a really famous and and uh, there's a really famous discussion they have in the the novel about um, uh, what it me uh, about the most photographed uh, 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 barn in, in in the Midwest, right? Okay. And about how um, well uh, what's so special about it? Well, what's special about it is it's the most photographed barn in the Midwest, <laughs> right? And you know this becomes yeah, this is a, a cute little aside, but it also is part of a larger kind of uh, uh, commentary on the way in which. Uh, Pop culture um, is it becomes this sort of incestuous kind of self feeding sort of monster, mm-hmm. right? And eventually, this turns into uh, in in the novel a prolonged um, sort of meditation on how it is that that uh, human relationships more and more are becoming mediated by pop culture and consumerism, and the only ways we have to relate to each other are through through artifice through 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 pop culture and, like and shared and, experience sh- yeah share yeah shared experiences and so on right and and um there's a real sense of 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 dread of where this is leading in the novel and on the one hand the movie doesn't really get into much of that at all um on the other hand one of the reasons you know this this book that's almost 40 years old now is now maybe uh, a little unfilmable and maybe even a little quaint is we're way past that. We're way, way past the point where we're, we're threatened by the idea that, Oh, well pretty soon we're only going to be able to talk to each other in uh, about TV sitcoms. Now we are, now we're well into the point where, where uh, uh, media and, and technology has invaded every single aspect of our lives, right? 
Yeah, it's like so. A, it's not even a conversation anymore. Every right? fear that the, the book maybe lays out, there right? So the fears that come the, true and worse. the anxieties <laughs> that that the book has are 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 quaint by now. Um, so uh, so that's another layer in which this is kind of unfilmable. Not only is it is it very sort of a, a, a sort of egghead and intellectual, but also a lot of the things that it's so worried about are anxieties of a different era, you know? Okay. And, you know, uh, other than that, I mean, I'm an, I'm constantly annoyed. One of my pet peeves in movies is always about um, how uh, uh, college lectures are, are portrayed, how life in college is portrayed, you know? <laughs> you, uh, you, you, you come in, everybody sits down, somebody has a 30-second a, uh, uh, sort of uh, argument with a, a college professor, with a professor about, you know, you forgot your pen or you forgot your pencil or, <laughs> or, or whatever, you know, and then right as their, uh, their conversation reaches, reaches a pitch point, a bell rings, and then everybody leaves, you know, because, <laughs> you know, yeah, a class is 30 seconds long, right? Uh, there's not quite that, but there is this really ridiculous scene where uh, Adam Driver delivers, delivers this uh, this lecture that's some sort of like I don't know soliloquy, like pseudo Shakespearean yeah, soliloquy it's... about the about and, and actually he and uh, he and Don Cheadle's character kind of go back and forth about the relationship, you know, all the different relationships between Hitler and Elvis, <laughs> um, in a way that's not exactly that should be played for laughs, but isn't exactly isn't funny, right? Um, it's just silly. <laughs> it's silly in the in in a way that doesn't seem that almost seems unintentional. Um, I don't know. What'd you make of that? This movie didn't really wear out its welcome with me till they got back from the toxic event. Yeah, I feel like it really didn't know what to do after that. Yeah, yeah. when they were really dealing with the heart of the matter. Yeah, it didn't. Well, this is a known issue with the novel, by the way. I mean, it was a an issue that's sort of abstract and hard to like empathize with you know what i yeah, mean yeah and um but i do think there was a lot of things that i did sort of like about this yeah it's yeah. totality i don't know if I'd, I, I'd it'd be hard to recommend because there's a it's a there's a lot this, sitting through this is a lot to ask of, of certain people especially yeah you know i think driver is really um a character like this yeah maybe not this character and this material but sort of a bumbling sort of half intellectual type i think he did a really good job yeah and it's it, it is a testament to how what a what a great what a dynamic actor yeah, he, he is. can he do, can really do I mean, you know yeah. it's like some of the things he's done in saturday Night live have been pretty extreme for saturday Night live yeah right and, and have really kind of worked kind of well yeah um so the cast i thought did you know they're doing what's asked of them and i yeah. think they did a pretty good job yeah it's just some of it as a narrative Especially after that midpoint, just really kind of turned into something that it is hard to identify. It's with well, for it, me. I mean, it's a, it's a known issue. Uh, it was a known issue with the novel, even though it's beloved, is that it, it comes in three sort of distinct parts. Mm -hmm. You know, and they're even named as the chapters in this, right, right, right. right. Um, and how the three parts of the novel sort of fit together is the sort of. Uh, thing that you would write, uh, you know, maybe a master's thesis on, right? <laughs> because it's not, it's not entirely obvious right. uh, how, how exactly they fit together, especially um, uh, why the airborne toxic event, what exactly the significance of that is. You would expect it to have a certain dramatic effect 
on on the uh, on the the characters you, you know you, you have these very uh, in other words uh, you know you have these very very intellectual uh, cerebral characters uh, who who are uh, ca- constantly thinking about bigger themes and, and life and death and everything and then one day all of a sudden smack they're put smack dab in the middle of oh my god are we about to die <laughs> right and uh, and uh, so that would be a, it's interesting you can see that as being an interesting sort of basis for a novel. To then sort of see how they react to that, and I think that their reaction to that is, uh, both in the movie and in the book, is kind of the least interesting way they might react to it. Um, it seems it b- both smack of of uh, an author who's just kind of I- out, out of ideas mm-hmm. and and ta- kind of taking the easy way out. Uh, and now, now I, I mean, granted, uh, Bombach doesn't get off easy here just because he follows Dill Dill to the letter. Um, you know he's adapting here. Um, he if, if the end of the novel doesn't work, uh, he should adapt. He should improve on the end of the novel. Sure. Or, or yeah, um, or find some way to tie the the different themes of the larger themes of the novel together. But none of there doesn't seem to be larger themes to this novel, right? It, or, or rather, to this this movie. No, the it movie. Just kinda, it just kind of yeah, it just kind of skips from event to event, uh-huh. and then it's kind of over. And again. If you're going to write a thesis paper about a novel um, and explain why that is, that's one thing. But uh, at the end of a two-hour movie, um, you just feel like, well, uh, I, I just watched a movie and it didn't mean anything. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, I didn't know quite what to to make of this as a whole. But, uh, you know, there were things in there that I definitely enjoyed. I mean, I, the, the recreation of the 80s supermarket is, is pretty phenomenal. I mean, seeing all these old products in their old forms, is you know, it was kind of cool. yeah. I mean, it's probably a little bit of a stylized recreation because you know all the all, every shelf in this thing is stocked to the gills and perfectly stacked, you know, perfectly stacked. Yeah, so I don't think it's realistic in terms of that, but um, yeah, it's just part of it. It's part of a larger sort of uh, satire of the era that I think just doesn't go anywhere. That just doesn't have. Yeah, I don't think it's that doesn't have just just doesn't have any heft. It's, you know? I mean, I don't think it's particularly like you know. <clears throat> interesting in, in what it's trying to say about it but mm-hmm. i i did i did like the recreation mm-hmm. yeah it was really um at that midpoint of this movie when it was it really kind of became a chore to watch and i just you just didn't know what to make of what you were seeing and um the problems that characters were having just i don't know just yeah seemed, seemed just seemed like stuff that they were going through as opposed to stuff that i was invested in them going through yeah you know? yeah um, and and what they when the, what they end up going through, uh, uh, how they end up reacting to uh, the existential despair, you know, a despair of of the airborne toxic event and having lived through it and everything, um, as I've said, is just uh, is just sort of the least interesting reaction they could have. You know, uh, it just seems very. Um, well, it's by, by the time they get back from it, it's like they were never gone. It's it's, it, it's it, like it never. Yeah, it, it, it's not. Yeah, it, it's it's. That yeah. poor, in the in the in the grand scheme of the movie, that 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 whole section doesn't matter really, except for they're not right. It creates one more problem for Adam Driver's character, perhaps. Right. Yes. Um, or maybe it doesn't. <laughs> it's a long right. way to go yeah. for that. Right. Yeah. That, that's not to say there aren't some fun things in there. I mean, yeah, I, I, yeah. there's a couple times. You know, I, I laughed more than once watching this. And yeah, yeah. Well, well, the children especially, I think. Yeah, they're, 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 uh, the they all have their own the quirk and, yeah, or, or, and uh, yeah. eccentricity that, uh, uh-huh. while not realistic, is, yeah. is, is 
you know, it's 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 funny. It's it's fun to watch. Uh, th- there's a dance number um, in this movie that um, is out of nowhere that I would have enjoyed if if it would have made any sense at all or had any had any sort of satirical sort of heft. I kind of dug it. I, it's, it's I mean, per- it's, it's fun to watch. It's fun but to it's watch. Just, like, what is this? I just think that what does know, it mean? Well, I mean, it's the credits. Yeah, but is 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 are are we supposed to be? Is this movie supposed to leave us feeling, you know, joyful and ecstatic in the way that a dance I, I, I number does? It, I, I thought it was maybe trying to make a comment about how, you know, the the marching on of commerce and how it's more of like a dance of everything goes on in a supermarket. You know, I mean, you everybody picks up, the, you know, it's like a, you know, a factory, but it's yeah, a factory yeah. of uh, capitalism. You know, everybody's... Yeah. I, I just feel like... Picking up their melon, looking at their melon, picking up their chips, look at, you know, put it in the cart, get it going forward. It's like a, you know a, a, a machine. Understood. I just, I just feel like the the rest of that movie, the, the rest of the movie doesn't do any work to sort of earn that metaphor. Yeah, you know, I, um, I think that's a fair point. Uh, furthermore, I don't want to get too much into spoilers, but the the third act is built around um, a completely preposterous, totally out of character. Turn of events. Um, oh, right, right, right. Act of violence. Um, that um, yeah, is, just underscores how trite and ridiculous the, uh, the direction of that of character is. The third act is schooled earlier on that you're either that type of person or you're not. Yeah, right. And I think it's clear that he's oh he never is right, but then he is all of a sudden. And I, yeah, and so have your cake and eat it too. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, I think we're left here with a movie that maybe, um, if anything, um. Uh, in some ways, maybe diminishes the uh, the value the uh, the stature of the of the of the of the novel, <laughs> right? <laughs> you know that it makes you look at the novel in a new way. Like, is this novel really, really dated? And, it's and... probably not Bombay's intention. <laughs> uh, no, it sure, certainly isn't. But it, it certainly makes the novel seem very uh, very dated. And uh, well, sometimes that happens. And and uh, and incoherent. It's been a long time since I was, you know, since I read Confederacy, Confederacy of Dunces, but I wonder if there's things in there that might be dated. I know there's a lot of Doris Day hate in that, <laughs> and I don't know how well that that's going to transfer to the masses. <laughs> you know, kids hate Dor- <laughs> kids still hate Doris Day, so <laughs> or particularly her movies. I think in the book. Um, I'll tell you what, you could write a paper on uh, Greta Gerwig's hair because it is yes, you sure could. Really right. curly. Yes, 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 <laughs> uh, yes. Uh, she she is outed at one point as a secret smoker. I don't think so. Not with that haircut, honey. <laughs> <laughs> She's so. a supposed recovered uh, yeah, smoker, right. I guess. But yeah, I um, I was wondering. You know, you talked about how we're probably going to feel very similar about this one. I, and I when I said I was wondering if you were going to totally hate this, and I didn't. Yeah. You know, I definitely didn't totally hate this. I just no. Just left me kind of like, you know, the, some of it's the, some of it is not not very great, but uh, I, I like parts of it. You know, it's, it it it's not a movie that annoyed or really bored me. It 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 uh, it is intermittently entertaining. I think we really agree about the direction of the third act. Um, which, uh, you know, I mean, depend on depend. You can you can blame Delillo or you can blame Bombach for that. Um, but um, it's right there in the, you know, it's well, right, I mean, it's right there in the, wanna, it's right there in the text. <laughs> Maybe blame him for the maybe shortcomings of the book as far as the writer, but uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, but the third act uh, is definitely uh, yeah, I, I agree. Weak, yeah. So it's a it's a miss, but uh, yeah, I, I I would say it's 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 eh, a miss. Yeah. All right, let's take a quick break. We'll be right back. 
with the second half of Cinema Spin. You're listening to Cinema Spin. We are back for the second half of Cinema Spin, and boy, oh boy, we have a random movie to, for you tonight. Yes, we do. And to tell us about it, here's Jason. Here's Jason. That's here's me. Jason. Here's me. So uh, the movie that we chose for tonight uh, is the 1967. Yes. 19, yes. The 1967 movie Point Blank. Wait, it's not Gross Point Blank? <laughs> no, it's not Gross Point Blank. Oh. It is not Point Break. The 1990, 89, 90 movie with, uh, uh, with Keanu Reeves. And let's keep going. Which also has a remake. Yes. <laughs> and let's keep going. Let's do, let's, let's complete the housekeeping. There's a number of point blanks. Uh, point blank, uh, <laughs> was based on the 1962 novel, The Hunter by Donald Westlake. Okay. The Hunter was adapted into the Mel Gibson movie Payback in 1999. Really? Yes. Uh, all of the movies are very different. In 2010, a totally unrelated French movie called Point Blank was released, and it was remade in 2019 under the title Point Blank. Okay. So those- okay. <laughs> so now let's have at it. We're talking about the 1967 movie Point Blank starring Lee Marvin. Yes. That's the one I watched. Yes. Okay. Good. <laughs> right. In my younger days, I would have seen at least some of these other movies to compare and contrast, but I'm not younger. Um, and frankly, I've spent more more time than expected this week trying to make sense out of just the first five minutes of the Lee Marvin movie. <laughs> um, I won't even try to describe how this movie begins, except to say that it appears to have been edited by Pablo Picasso. Uh, what matters is this. Lee Marvin plays a criminal known as Walker, who has been betrayed by another criminal named Reese. Yes, that's Dean Wormer from Animal House, uh, who has stolen Walker's wife, but more importantly... Walker's cut of their heist, $93,000. If the repetition of that number throughout this movie, $93,000, reminds you of uh, the paper boy in Better Off Dead, who once is $2, uh, you're not alone. Um, Anyway, the movie follows Walker's attempts to recoup his money, which means working his way through the network of dirty businessmen and white-collar crooks who set up the heist going wrong. Um, his guide through all of this is a mysterious figure known only as Yost, who seems to have some interest in Walker's quest to track down his enemies. Best not to ask too many questions about Yost. <laughs> uh, aside from a series of stylistic flourishes that put the fart and artsy-fartsy, the only thing distinguishing this CD neo-noir potboiler is Walker's motivation. Uh, this ought to be a revenge movie, but it's never about revenge. He just wants his fucking money. <laughs> <laughs> and the fact is, I must say, this is a bit refreshing and played again and again for some laughs. These career criminals just can't believe that's all that he wants. Point Blank was mostly ignored when it came out, but it's one of the best examples of a movie whose reputation has grown over the years. It's beyond a cult film at this point. It's considered a flat-out classic by Steven Soderbergh, Quentin Tarantino, and just about every other member of that generation of filmmakers. What did you think? Well, Matt. you know, I start out, I did read, didn't read any reviews, because, but I know some of them started with Borman's Masterpiece. Yes. And uh, John Borman of Deliverance fame. I also Zardoz. find that really hard to believe. <laughs> um, I think I, I may be immune to 
on my list with Deborah Winger, we may be able to put Lee Marvin in it because I just do not get. The I thought you were going to go with Angie Dickinson. <laughs> <laughs> we might get to her too. Let's get to her too. Okay. Yes. Anyway, go, but Lee what, Marvin. What is it with people in the '60s? Especially okay. Normally, I'm, I'm all over the place. Yeah, you're all over. I got the place. so many ideas. Bring it back around, right? Okay. Okay. Well, let me start with this. Yes. First of all, a lot of times when we do these '60s movies, the first thing I'm going to go off on is the pacing. Yes. But you can't do that here. This is a fairly tightly directed, like 90 minutes, something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. So it's not the pacing. Not the pacing. This movie is not edited well. It is edited... It's, edi- it's edited in a very, very bizarre way. There's there's times when it's edited together and two scenes happen that are really not close together time-wise. Yeah. But no time has passed that we're aware of. Right. There's scenes that just happen and then the next scene has nothing to do with it and there's like it seems like a totally arbitrary scene right yeah next. yeah it, it, it it's edited in in a, in a kind of cubist way so I didn't, where, where uh it's it's almost non-linear and some of the yeah well yeah the non-linear thing is is an interesting count because there's like this concept of the flashback He's right constantly like haunted by what's happened before yeah i don't know if that really weight works that well now it is sort of i'm sure for the time it's groundbreaking yeah, but you know, I've it's like this is the argument I have with, with with a friend of ours about comedy, especially if you've seen The Imitation a million times, uh-huh. it's hard to appreciate the original. Yeah, and I think this is maybe one of those cases. Yeah, I mean, there's a couple shots in here that I thought were cool, you know, but yeah. just putting the camera to where a reflector and Lee Marvin's head are all in focus. Yeah, that's not that interesting to me. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. Marvin is an actor I don't get. Um, <laughs> yeah. He's 43 years old in this movie and doesn't look a day under 60. <laughs> and that's very common of actors. I don't know if they lived harder. Yes, he, he looks like he's, he's, yes. I mean, you think about what a guy like, you know, Hugh Jackman looks like now, who's what? Yeah. I don't know. Is he 50 yet? But he's close. He, he's 95. <laughs> and he he, <laughs> you know, he, lo- he looks like he's 40. Actors, I don't right, know if they yes. take better care of themselves. Well, Plastic uh, surgery. He, he gotten, sure does. Right? gotten yeah. better. Yes, or, yes, or yes. maybe they, you know, tough guys didn't do that back then. Yeah, yeah. I, I think men of that era, were. it was okay for them to age. He was, doesn't look yeah. bad. Yes. He just looks he, not old. 43 yes, he by looks, today's standards. Yes, he looks old. Right. Um, Grizzled. Yes. Yeah, so I didn't. I, I just wasn't really interested in in this story very much, and I think because of the way it was told more than anything, it just. I, I don't know. I, I don't know that a movie like this, uh, that is so plot driven, you know, because this is this is a, uh, you know, this is a crime thriller, and 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 and, and the plot is very clear. You. You know, you go, you find this guy, you interrogate him, he leads you to the next guy, and then there's a double right. cr- there's a double cross and then another double cross. You know, the plot is very important, and I don't know if you know, this is not a good movie to introduce all of these these really bizarre sort of flourishes with playing with time and playing mm-hmm. with with uh with the with when events happen because you sort of need to know, wait, did that happen before that happened and then that happened and then I, I sort that, of felt know. that way a little yeah. bit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so I, I don't know, uh, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of interesting, uh, story, storytelling techniques here. I just don't think they serve this particular story. I I think this movie relies a lot on you thinking Lee Marvin is cool, 
like yes. Bullet relies on you being so yes. interested in how cool yes. McQueen is. Yes. Now Bullet is a lot more of a slowed pace, you know, yeah. take really takes his time. This movie is not doesn't do that. So yeah. I will give it credit for that. It's yeah. it's paced. I, I, it moves I, along. Yeah. It doesn't, you know, each little vignette of him f- catching up to somebody and what happens doesn't take forever. Yeah, it's, right. It's rapid fire. Right. But it just it just didn't work it's, that and well. It's for a me. lot less about what, you know, what shirt he's wearing than Bullet. You know, that's true. You know, <laughs> um, I think in terms of the uh, the kind of the, the playing around with the the the, the storytelling and the nonlinear storytelling and everything, um, you you know, you can draw a straight line to to a movie like out of like Soderbergh's Out of Sight. Uh-huh. That, you know, the way that, that plays or uh, plays around with time. Um, and so kudos for that. You know, sure. OK, um, so uh, but like you said, the first five minutes are incoherent. Yeah, the first five you... minutes are, are, are a total wreck. Uh, in a way, we you know we talked about. I mean, you'll figure out eventually, but right. But you may as well just watching not even watch the first five minutes, right? <laughs> That's true. Um, for all the good they do you, uh, the uh, uh, you know we we uh, talked earlier about the you know too much fealty to maybe to the uh, to the original source material. You can imagine I haven't. This is the book I haven't read. I haven't read you know the hunter, but. I can imagine that maybe the first chapter of the novel jumps around a lot, you know, from, you know, backwards and forwards. And you can do that in a novel in a way that doesn't make any sense at all in a a movie. Right. And I think that's what we have here. Right. What's the deal with Alcatraz? What, what what the, what the fuck is the angle here of, guess, of dumping money in I, the middle of Alcatraz? I just think that Alcatraz was was the king of you know San Francisco was cool in the sixties. I, I guess that the you know the Alcatraz the, is cool. The it's San Francisco Bureau of Commerce right was like, hey, uh, films. Uh, we just closed Alcatraz. Uh, maybe you could film <laughs> some movies here, right? I think that's what it's all about. And, and yeah, they're like, okay, can we land a helicopter over there? Hell yes, like, hell yeah, can. sure, right. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, so the yeah the, the 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 heist at the beginning happens in Alcatraz, which is abandoned, and even when it wasn't abandoned, it was a prison. <laughs> right. I don't know what the what the profit motive is to sneak money into a prison exactly. I guess. But then you, again, you, at you the get end, your ass out there, you're not going to be bothered. Right. Right. <laughs> but like, uh, you know, I mean, I mean, you might notice, uh, you, you know, people. At Fisherman's Wharf, might notice that in the middle of the night there's a helicopter flying out to uh, to Alcatraz and landing in the. You know, it's not like there's nobody around Alcatraz. Yeah, you can see true. it. You know, people, maybe it's so far away you can't do anything with it. Driving over. across the Golden Gate Bridge, you can say, "Oh yeah, there's a helicopter landing in Alcatraz." I wonder what the. I wonder if anything nefarious is going on. You know, with that, it's you know at eleven thirty p.m. And, at night, and then right? at the end, it's established that the drop still happens at Alcatraz. But then they don't go back to Alcatraz. They go to Point Fort Point or whatever it is. Well, right. <laughs> well, and and the thing is, like at the end, they uh, they they leave the money. Right, because they're like, okay, because finally he gets his two dollars. That's all he wanted. He'll <laughs> right. leave us alone, right? And then I guess he just swims away. <laughs> the way to he got the way off, he got off, the he got off of Alcatraz the first time. <laughs> and I guess they're just like, okay, find your good luck, Walker. <laughs> I don't think when they're talking about the history of Alcatraz, they talk about how it can't be done. Right. Yes. And he did, apparently wink, has wink, done it twice. Right. He's gonna do it twice. Right. There were a whole whole bunch of set pieces that amused me in this movie like the jazz fist fight the jazz fist fight 
But just the music in the jazz club where the dude is just kind of, yeah! Right. Yeah! Wow! Right. Yeah, right. Because that's you know that that was jazz, man. <laughs> it was terrible, is what it was. A lot of pill popping in this movie. Sure, everybody's popping pills. Right. Yeah. Let's get to my my favorite part of this movie. Okay. Yeah. Uh, there's a part in the third act of this film that takes place at a at a house in the Hollywood Hills. Well, not the Hollywood Hills, but you know, outskirts of L.A. Yeah. Um. <laughs> and uh, apparently, the significance of that house was it was either just rented by the Beatles or was about to be rented by the Beatles but oh, yeah. that house same house oh yeah um here uh Marvin takes up residence in this house uh-huh. waiting for right uh, Carol O'Connor right right, right Walker yeah um Angie Dickinson's character comes in uh-huh and he angers her right away uh-huh she starts hitting him uh-huh yeah and uh she just keeps hitting him and hitting him and hitting him <laughs> Until yep. she just kind of punches herself to you know to exhaustion, she invented what Ali did to Foreman in the Rumble. <laughs> and the the rope a dope, uh, right? Yeah, she uh, invented the rope a dope, right? Well, or Lee <laughs> right. Marvin did, right? right. Just, right. Lee play, Marvin. just play defense. Lee Marvin invented the rope a dope, right? Let yeah. her wear herself out, right? But then, then so it Muhammad out. Ali totally saw this movie, right? <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. He's like, oh, I've got an idea. But then she, then she cool cocks him with a uh, uh, a pool cue. pool cue, and it turns him on, right? Well, it like he's like, hey, baby, or it right. turns her on. Well, one, well, apparently. So they have this fight. Yeah, she gets, uh, she, you know, she's exhausted on the ground. Uh-huh. He sits on the couch. She kind of pulls herself together, crawls into the next room, and proceeds. She's mad, right? Uh-huh. So mad. Turns on every blender, every machine in the kitchen. Yeah, uh-huh, right. Puts toast in the toaster, puts the toaster on, and it all happens in like 30 seconds. And then he finally he finally finds her in the pool room, and she's like apparently drunk. This all happens right, in like exactly. 45 seconds. Right. <laughs> so <laughs> I was just like, what in the hell is going on here? I showed Sarah, my wife, that whole like, thing. Well, maybe she, she did a shot first, then she turned everything else on, did another shot, and then uh, it was maybe weird. she was just acting drunk. And then they do this interesting, you know, this, I don't know how interesting it is, but another one of the flourishes in this movie is where mm-hmm. uh, Angie Dickinson is on top of him, and as they do a rollover, uh, he's back with his wife. And then uh-huh. the villain is with his wife. Yeah. And then the villain is with Angie Dickinson. Right. And they finish the role, and it's him and Angie right. Dickinson again. Yeah. Which you know, sure. I thought they're trying to be clever. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's a clever flourish, I guess. Sure. Yeah. But it, I mean, to the person who doesn't really <laughs> know what's going on, yeah, that might be confusing. I thought. You know? <laughs> now let's talk about it uh, while we're on Angie Dickinson. Angie Dickinson. Um, for my money. Uh, the worst major actress, um, maybe in Hollywood history. Um, now I mean, we could find worst actresses, but, but like Angie Dickinson, you could direct her to look blankly into the camera and you could tell that she's acting right. (laughs) (laughs) I haven't seen a whole lot of her work. I've seen very few things with her in it, especially when she was a younger woman. I see things that, you know, growing up. Yeah. Well, she was, you know, she was. She's easy on the eyes, especially back in her Rio Bravo days. I have a right? hard time, but not seeing her as an older woman, you know. Yeah, 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 um, yeah. right, right, right. But but she's she's a terrible actress in 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 the vein of uh, 
Yeah, Ali McGraw, right? <laughs> who I, I think also would would pass that same test of okay, just just wear no expression, just look <laughs> blankly into the camera, right? I can tell you're acting. Also, the randomizer has a thing for Carol O'Connor. I think it's clear. He does tend to come up. Carol O'Connor uh, has been in more ran- randomly selected movies than maybe any other actor. Yes, at yes, least he, three. He, I think you're right. Um, and none of none of them have been like the most famous Carol O'Connor turns either. You know, right? Yeah, I don't. I mean, I think that pretty much pretty much my list. I, I was so early on in this movie, it got better over time. But early on in this movie, um. Uh, you know, you don't know quite what kind of movie this is going to be yet, you know, and early on the dialogue is so like minimalistic and like self-consciously hard boiled that it reminded me of, of the action movie porno parodies and boogie nights a little bit. (laughs) Right. In one scene, Walker, you know, quote unquote, interrogates his ex-wife, right. Yeah. Using nothing but like his sex appeal, just like staring at her. Right. He doesn't even speak. He says nothing. And she says the money. The money comes from once a month delivered by some guy, right? She just rambles. Right, yeah. She's nonsense. Right. right. (laughs) So, right, you know, uh, Chest Rockwell uh, really knows how to get the truth out of women. So, um, so Point Blank uh, uh, has uh, quite a long um, and fruitful legacy. um, Based on its reputation, I'd say I was disappointed, you know. Yeah. Um, Uh, Doesn't hold together, I think. but it has it has an age well, I think. Um, the I I did sort of like. There's a scene where he uh, takes a uh, he interrogates a uh, car dealer by uh, <laughs> he puts on a seatbelt. The car dealer doesn't, and then he just <laughs> wrecks, wrecks the car, the car over, wrecks over, the car over and over again. It's like come on, <laughs> right? Um, and uh, James B. Sicking is that? That's his name, right? Um, he plays the assassin, uh, or well, the, the the sharpshooter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. He, it's probably the youngest I've ever seen him, you know, cause yeah. he was in like what Hill Street Blues and, uh-huh. <laughs> and, uh, some, some other things, but, uh, yeah. And, well, and once you, I mean, once this movie stops being quite so, uh, you know, artsy and weird, it really just settles into just sort of a, a, a very, a very basic sort of track down this guy, interrogate him with track a down weird, the next with guy. kind of a weird flourish every once. Yeah, in a while. with yeah, with sort of weird flourish every once in a while. So there's not much. But, you know, there's really not much to it. There's probably know? a lot of shots though that in this that maybe if you were in watching this in a theater in 1967, you'd be like, oh, that looks really interesting compared. But Compa- compared, some of yeah. them are probably yeah. been so yeah. done to death. That's we true. just don't even notice how different yeah. they are than what you know. That's true. I mean, this is um, a movie that comes out the same year as, like, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, Bonnie and Clyde, you mm-hmm. know, and and and, and uh, Easy Rider, and and you know, so you're getting, so you can see this as, as uh, a movie that's uh, unconventional. It's, it's 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 part of a sort of movement of of uh, people kind of uh, really sort of playing around with techniques in genre movies. You know, from what I was reading, I think the book takes place in its entirety in San Francisco, and this has got. Part of it's in L.A. I don't know if that's budgetary or whatever. <laughs> I wonder why. We got to right? get the L.A. River in this damn movie. <laughs> right. Yes. Is the, right. Uh, uh, someday, expected Matt, grease lightning to fly by. You know. Someday, I am going to be involved in a money drop in uh, in the L.A. River. So. I think that uh, uh, it's likely. <laughs> or I'm going to land the space shuttle 
in the LA River. Oh my god! What I if forgot you, about that. Yes. So so what? I was. I was. One of those two things are going to happen. I think I was uh, hiding that memory in my subconscious. <laughs> well, it's back. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that is so dumb. That scene. That's, <laughs> oh, that's so dumb. <laughs> that's a dumb scene in a dumb, dumb movie. <laughs> I'm dumber for having remembered that. <laughs> yes, <exists>. You are. <laughs> you are. <laughs> a lot of times, you know, we here's where in the show we complain about. Not knowing what we're going to do next week. Yes. As far as a new movie, we know yes, what we're doing. Yes, there is one movie and <laughs> one movie only that we could have done next week. We've been waiting for it for months. I mean, everybody has, really. Well, ever yes. since I saw the trailer, I knew yes, I was in. Right. Um, <laughs> and that movie is Megan. Is it? Do you still pronounce it Megan, or do you try to somehow pronounce that three? Is the no, e? it's Megan. It's not Methagan? No. Um, okay. Megan... Uh, was starring Allison Williams and a uh, uh, a computer generated doll. Um, if you have not seen the trailer for this movie, um, look this up immediately. It's Megan. Um, you probably have already, but see it again. Watch it again. I can virtually guarantee you the trailer for this movie is going to be better than the movie itself. But I'm <laughs> going to keep an open mind. But we are definitely doing that for next week. That's the tough thing about movies of this nature, that uh, sometimes the trailer is better. Yes, than... but even if so, even if the, the movie the trailer is better than the movie, what, so, a, I what mean, a trailer. We've already got a hell of a show lined up. Yeah. Let's find out what we're going to pair this thing up Okay. With. It better be good. It better bring it, randomizer. Bring it. Well, uh, can I always say it's fun to know just a few seconds before you do? I enjoy that privilege. Oh, yeah? You like that having that power over uh-huh. me? Like, yeah, I could just... Okay. No, I wouldn't do that to you. No. But uh, let's let the suspense end, and I'll say <laughs> we're watching Flashdance, Jason, from 1983. What a feeling. <laughs> I've yeah. never seen Flashdance. I have not either. I, I My mom was a huge fan as a child when I was a child, so I've seen probably a few scenes. I've seen, I know at one point she dances on a chair and then she- Water splash. And then there's a splash <laughs> of water. And, that, and she's a welder. I know that. Yeah. she's a. And she takes her bra off at one point. Oh. Just during a conversation. Right. Maybe I know more about this. Yeah, than I maybe thought. I do know more about this than I thought I did. Well, we're going to take a fresh look at it. Yeah, fresh look. All right. Well, uh, join us next week. That's that'll be the show. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. Bye bye for now. <laughs>